You are Locked On Marlins, your daily podcast on the Miami Marlins, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back to the Locked On Marlins podcast. As always, I'm your host, Aram Layton. I'm a Marlins writer as well as a minor league play-by-play broadcaster. And in this episode, we're going to be talking about some of the news developments around the Marlins. Still, no TV deal. Interesting story from Barry Jackson in the Miami Herald about the developments with the negotiations and the stall that the Marlins and Sinclair are currently at. Also, the Marlins linked to Anthony Santander, right fielder, for the Baltimore Orioles. And if you listened a couple episodes ago, that was a target that I floated as my personal favorite potentially for the Marlins to go get. So cool to see him just about a few days later get floated as a name that the Marlins are interested in. Also, before I get started here, really want to thank you Marlins fans for putting in those ratings. It was incredibly humbling after just asking for one person to get me to 50, seeing all of those ratings pour in and put me well over 50. I really appreciate it, and it's been awesome being able to share this podcast with you, and I really, really appreciate your support. So that was really awesome to see, and I very much am grateful for your kind notes, your ratings, and your listening. So let's get back into this here with the Marlins TV deal first, because there are so many moving parts here, and it kind of explains the Marlins maybe stagnation here in the offseason where they have been somewhat quiet, actually not somewhat quiet, let's be honest. They have been incredibly quiet this entire offseason, but that's because they don't know what's going to happen with this TV deal. I'm assuming that has to play a part in it. But that being said, on the flip side of it, if we're going to play the devil's advocate here, the Marlins already had the worst TV deal in sports. And as Barry Jackson pointed out in the article, the Marlins probably will not be getting as much money as they would have gotten if COVID-19 never happened. But they still will be getting more than the $20 million deal that they had been dealing with the last couple seasons. I think that's a no-doubt, no-brainer. They're definitely going to get more than that. So if you're assuming that you're going to get more in your TV deal, then why are you so reluctant to spend? Maybe there's more going on with the financial situation. Of course, they didn't have any fans, but how much do the Marlins really make off of fans? There are so many moving parts. But what was interesting to me was the fact that Sinclair is hurting now too, and the TV companies are hurting now too, which is understandable, right? I think everybody is hurting during COVID. Every company, every small business, every large business is hurting to a degree, except for the select few and the Elon Musks of the world and all of that stuff. But the weird thing is how much less some of these TV deals are for the major networks as well. Major League Baseball was set to strike a $700 million deal with ESPN for the rights to broadcast games which is now going to be set closer to $550 million, as Jackson also pointed out. So everybody's affected by this pandemic, and if that's happening on that large of a scale that was reported initially by The Athletic, then you would assume that Sinclair, who's already in some weird situations, have you seen those little flashing tickers at the bottom of your screen where it was like, Hulu's going to make you lose all of your sports teams in your regional area because they plan to drop local, regional, Sinclair-owned sports networks or whatever that whole situation is. And it was just pushing that message all the time. Anytime you're trying to watch South Florida sports. Yeah, so that's definitely 
part of what is a wild time for Sinclair that's struggling financially right now. And they are struggling with other deals too, with Hulu and YouTube TV and all of these other entities that they clearly aren't striking good deals with either. So I don't know what the deal is with the Marlins here and where we're going to go with these negotiations. I do expect a deal to be reached. I'd be shocked if the Marlins were ready to roll into the season with some other plan. I don't even know what the other plan would be. Do they strike a deal with YouTube TV or something and just go with that? I'll say that the couple games that were broadcasted on YouTube, I don't know if that was through Major League Baseball. I'm assuming it was. I'm almost positive, yes, it was through Major League Baseball. I didn't love that. If the Marlins struck an individual deal with YouTube, if they had interest in that, I think that would be a huge, huge mistake. The Marlins already had a huge bounce back with over a 1,000% jump in the demographic of 18 to 36 when it came to viewership, you're going to lose those older viewers and those older watchers that are not going to go onto YouTube or onto their computer or try to figure out the apps on their TV to watch the game. While that's not even being floated as an idea yet, that would probably be one of the only other types of contingency plans on short term that would be able to make this happen. So I think the Marlins need to just come to an agreement with Sinclair. I think both will end up giving in and striking a deal because really the Marlins don't have too much leverage here. At the end of the day, they need somebody to broadcast their games and it's not like there's too many other options out there to get this going. We're already heading into February and the Marlins do not have anybody to broadcast their games outside of the radio. Of course, they extend their deal with their flagship radio station, which we expected. So this is going to be an interesting couple weeks here going into pitchers and catchers reporting very soon and still no deal. If the deal comes together, maybe that's when the Marlins are waiting to officially spend just when they have some more clarity. Who knows what's going on here? But I want to talk more about the Marlins' potential acquisition of Anthony Santander, why I like him as a target, and then what they could potentially do in a deal with the Orioles who are If we're talking about financial issues, the Orioles are in a lot of trouble right now if some of the reports that have come out are true that they are looking for deferrals and salaries. They offered Trey Mancini and Anthony Santander deferrals in their salaries, and those guys are only making $2 million, $2.3 million Santander is making, and Trey Mancini is making $4.75. Why would they ever agree to a deferral? And I don't think in the history of baseball, we have ever seen a deferral on an arbitration salary. I mean, if the Orioles are that desperate financially, maybe the Marlins can even play a little bit of big market and a big market team type of attitude here. And taking on a $2 million salary on top of Santander might be something that the Orioles would actually be interested in and could end up allowing the Marlins to limit their return that they have to give up for a guy like Santander, who's only 26 years old and is comes with a lot of control, is going to be a pretty steep price prospect-wise otherwise. And what's crazy about the Orioles is they even let go of their legendary broadcaster, Gary Thorne, and they own Masson, M-A-S-N. So that was probably a financially motivated decision as well. So if they're that strapped for cash, the Marlins could go ahead and take on a meager contract, a meager salary on top of Santander, and the Orioles may be on board with that, but of course, other teams would probably have a similar idea as well. So I'm going to get into that in just a moment, a little bit more of a background on Santander and why he's a good fit for the Marlins, what he does well, and how he would fit in, and then how the Marlins could potentially get a deal done to go get somebody like Santander. Quick, a reminder that this episode is brought to you by Built Bar, 18 delicious flavors. They all taste like a dessert. They're easy to chew, covered in chocolate, and great 
for a keto diet. They're high in protein, low in sugar, low in fat, low in carbs. What else could you want? And if you go to BuiltBar.com right now and use the promo code LOCKEDON, you'll get 20% off your next order. That's BuiltBar.com, promo code LOCKEDON for 20% off your next order. This episode is also brought to you by our friends at betonline.ag, the only sports book we trust here at the Locked On Podcast Network. This is a great time to get in on the action in the sports world. We have NBA season underway. We have Major League Baseball on the horizon. We got the Super Bowl coming up in a couple weeks. College basketball is underway. We're well into that season. NHL just got started as well. And if you go to betonline.ag right now and use the promo code Locked On, you'll get a 50% welcome bonus on your initial deposit. So if you deposit $100, you'll get an extra $50 on top of that. That is the best offer you're going to get from any of our advertisers. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. So let's get back into the baseball and into Santander's basically player profile here. How, it's, how does he fit in? How does he help the Marlins? He's 26 years old. He's under control until 2025. He just continues to get better before our eyes. He was really good last season before ultimately going down with an oblique injury, I believe it was. And he's good enough in the right field spot to anchor it down there and do an okay job. He's got a decent arm, and he actually looks better than the maybe minor league scouting reports that presumed he would play in right field this past year. The hit tool has played up a little bit better than many had expected as well. A switch hitter that's equally good from both sides. I'd say the left side is actually a little bit better, which is what you want to see anyways. Doesn't strike out a lot. The only drawback on Santander, and it's a minor one, is just that he does not walk a ton. And with that being the case, you like a guy that can hit for some power to walk a little bit more. He only walked 4.7% of the time in 2019 and then was a little bit better in 2020, walking 6.1% of the time. You'd like to see that more in the 7 to 8% range. But worst case scenario, as long as it's over six with his production, that'll do. I mean, in 37 games, he was really solid. 11 home runs. He drove in 32 for a pretty bad Orioles team. And he was somewhat unlucky. A 248 BABIP, well off of his typical career average and minor league average. He hits the ball pretty hard. He's good from both sides. I'd like to see the on base a bit higher, but all around a very, very solid player. And he doesn't strike out a lot. Only 15% K rate this past season in those 37 games. So a very interesting piece for the Marlins would be cheap, controllable, and could be a part of the outfield, especially with you would have Starling Marte moving on after this year. You'd have Corey Dickerson moving on after this year. So you would have that open spot regardless of the prospect situation. And he would be that quote-unquote veteran because he'd be 27 years old at that point, but still young with upside and fits that Marlins window where he will help them in the next few years and still have the upside where you are not really just going all in on a guy for a couple seasons like Dickerson. And all in is a strong word because Dickerson was more of a stopgap, but Santander is that combination of can help you now and can continue to get better and potentially help you later, and he's not expensive at all. When you look at the Orioles' contract situation, that's where things are tough when it comes to the Marlins potentially being able to take on a contract because of the fact that they're not paying anybody anything besides two guys that realistically 
you wouldn't touch with a 10-foot pole. You got Chris Davis, who somehow is still on a major league team because the, the Orioles just don't know what to what else to do. And he's going to be making about $17 million, actually $21 million this coming season, which at this point is good for 49% of the Orioles' payroll. There's no world where any team in baseball would ever take on Chris Davis' salary unless Adley Rutschman was attached to him. And then Alex Cobb is just as bad. Not quite as bad because Chris Davis legitimately hits about as well as I would if I went and suited up for the Orioles right now. Alex Cobb is not much better, though, on the mound. $15 million contract, not ideal. That's about a quarter of the Orioles' payroll, and he has been miserable the last couple years. So those guys make up for about three-fourths of their team's payroll, and then the only other players that are making anything over a league minimum is Trey Mancini at $4.75 million. And the problem with Mancini is I, he, he rakes. The guy is an absolute masher. And if the Marlins didn't bring back Jesus Aguilar, I'd float him as, as a candidate because he's more of a DH first baseman type. And the Marlins really aren't in need for that. He's $4.75 million, a little bit steeper than Aguilar. Wouldn't make sense. Santander is the fourth highest paid player for this upcoming season at $2.35 million, assuming that's what it's going to be. That's the projected salary as they're headed to arbitration, obviously, because the Orioles are trying to save every dollar they can. Pedro Severino, catcher, 27 years old, $1.8 million, an interesting potential option for the Marlins. He's not an upgrade over Alfaro, but he is an upgrade over Wallach. Wallach is only half a million dollars at the major league minimum. Maybe if you wanted to upgrade the backup spot, at catcher for the Marlins, while still not really going too deep into cutting into Alfaro's playing time if the Marlins presumably really want to see what he's got for one more year. At least you have a better insurance policy in Severino, who's a decent, decent catcher. Probably just about as average as you're going to get, but at $1.8 million, really not that expensive. But for the Orioles, they will take that $1.2, $1.3 million in savings any day of the week. For the Marlins, it gives them some better insurance in case that Alfaro just continues to regress next year. That would not be a horrible situation for the Marlins there, where they just upgrade the backup catcher spot, go more with a platoon type of situation behind the dish, and the Orioles get to save about $1.3 million. In that turn, if they go to get Santander packaged with Severino, you would assume that maybe if they taking on about $1.3 million in salary, then the return won't be as steep. So that could be a potential option for the Marlins if they wanted to do that. That's pretty much the only contract that makes a lot of sense to take on. In terms of prospects, what would the Marlins have to give up for a Santander? Well, I think when you look at the Orioles system, they would want an outfielder back, maybe an outfielder that can plug in right now and still has that upside. When I think of somebody like Jesus Sanchez, that makes the most sense because he can start the season at the major league level so they have at least bodies up there because they need bodies. And he can go up there, he can try to figure it out, and he will be $2 million almost cheaper for the Orioles, which will they'll take any money they can get right now. They're almost inoperable at this point. And then you maybe package in a Nick Knighter who can slot into the rotation for the minimum as well and throw in a lower-level guy with some upside. That could get it done if you're also taking Severino. I think that could be the mold for the Marlins. Jesus Sanchez, Neidert, or another type of pitching prospect like that that has some upside but can slot in now. And then you give them that one upside guy like a Machma or maybe 
a Palacios or a Brady Encarnacion, if you got to go with one of those guys, that might make sense for the Orioles at this point because I know that they're thinking about Santander as potentially part of their future, but right now, I don't think they know what their future is. And at the end of the day, they're going to have Davis and Cobb eventually off the books. That will clear up $32 million. That will change their whole dynamic in the next year or two. And they also will have guys like Mount Castle getting more settled into the big leagues. They'll have Grayson Rodriguez, one of my favorite pitching prospects, that'll be up and contributing. Adley Rutschman will be behind the dish, ready to go, and another reason why they might be more willing to part with Severino. So when you look at their outlook Maybe Santander at 26 years old already. It's going to be another two, three years for the Orioles at best to even start to have that young core putting it together. It might just make sense for them to deal Santander because by the time they're competitive, his control might just be close to up. And who knows? He might not quite continue on that trajectory and you might have wished that you could sell high. I think he will continue on that trajectory, but that is something that the Orioles may consider and may think about. And I think at this point, if they're letting their broadcaster go and they're doing all of these little things, they're trying to defer arbitration salaries, then I wouldn't be shocked if the Orioles were willing to take 70 cents on the dollar in terms of prospect value for a salary dump. And that would be a great opportunity for the Marlins who could use Santander's bat and potentially Severino as an insurance option at catcher and a huge upgrade over Chad Wallach. We'll see what the developments are. We'll see how this continues to unfold, but really a lot to happen here in the next couple weeks before the Marlins have pitchers and catchers report. You'd assume they'd want to figure out their outfield situation at least before spring training. So we'll see if that is the case. You know I'll be on it here on the Locked On Marlins podcast and at RM Layton on Twitter. So thank you very much as always for listening. Thank you for the reviews. I greatly, greatly appreciate it. It is so awesome to have such great support from great fans. And I'm looking forward to sharing this season with you. Have a great rest of your day. And I look forward to talking Marlins with you later this week. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.